Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Tim crushes this ball. He throws the bat. The ball goes flying and it's gone. Under the Hood, behind the scenes, nobody really sees. Ball runs right in the air deep. Is it enough? It's gone. Ball game over. Hey, I'm hot. Jonathan Hood. I'm hot. Rubisky. Robinson. And Mack will take it all the way in for a touchdown. A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood. DeMarc in it. Oh! He didn't come for the massage. He came for the fight show. Oh, baby. Woo! Jonathan Hood. Oh, man. Put a body on that man, please. Breaks the hole. Swift got running room. Swift got to go. 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Swift. Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. I'm the man. Nights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Instagram, IGJHood, on Snapchat, SnapJHood, on the program tonight. We will hear from Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN at ESPN.com. We'll talk to him coming up to 810. We will bear down of our newer segments that we have here for the spring and summer. We'll take a look into some Bears and NFL news for you coming up at 830 with Bear Down. Also, you know that the NBA draft is right around the corner, right? We will talk to Meyer Metcalf, friend of the program, writes for ESPN.com, covers college basketball like a blanket. We'll hear from Myron coming up at 9.10. Also, if you're a wrestling fan, I got you. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday at 9.35, a half hour after SmackDown Live is over on the USA Network. We will hear from good old JR, Jim Ross, the legendary Hall of Fame voice of the WWE, of the NWA, and now of All Elite Wrestling. We'll hear from Jim Ross coming up at 9.35 AEW, the newest wrestling company that's out there. They had a big event taking place in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, Jim is a big part of that company now. So we'll hear from Jim coming up at 935. And plenty of time for your thoughts as well. 312-332-ESPN. Hope that you have a great Tuesday night as we're with you until 10 o'clock. Then it's Dan Lebetard, Stu Godson, Greg Cody right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So we're guest-free for our first hour here. And uh, let's start off first with the Cubs because the Cubs are getting ready to take on the Rockies over at the Friendly Confines. Yesterday's game, the Cubs were on fire. They needed to have something different going on for them because of their struggles. They had a lot of them on the road. They take on the Los Angeles Angels yesterday, and they were able to to wipe the floor at Mike Trout and company. They did a great job. They were able to win. The issue with the Cubs has been offense. That was not the case in yesterday's affair against the Angels. But one of the couple of stories before we hear from Jesse Rogers on this, right? Number one, let's make it very clear that there are no more excuses for the Cubs. I will not make any excuses for the Cubs. I never do. But there are no more excuses for the Cubs. There, I don't want you to sit on your social media or you at the bar and say, you know, the Cubs would be good if blank, blank, blank. No, the Cubs should be good, blank, blank, blank. We cannot make excuses for the Cubs. 
The idea that if you're a Cubs fan, you're a diehard Cubs fan, and you always want a place to blame elsewhere, whether it's Theo or Jed or the broadcasters or the sun in the sky, it's enough excuses about the Cubs. Because as you've seen this lineup, and Theo Epstein made it very clear that he wasn't going to make a lot of changes because a lot of changes didn't need to be made. Last year's team was a good team, a very good team. A lot of teams wish they had 94-95 wins in a regular season. They fell short of their goal because that was a, a playoff team. That was a team that should have had a long run in the playoffs, and they did not. And so this old idea that, well, you know, Chili Davis, get that brother out of here because he's the problem. Chili Davis and the, the swinging and the way that the, the angles are, with their launch angles and all this other stuff, Come on, we've got to be able to stop BSing around here. It's a major market, okay? My hometown deserves better than blaming the hitting coach. That's what the White Sox did for years. They had a a cha-cha line of hitting coaches believing that that's the problem. These are major leaguers, and not just major leaguers, okay? We're talking about guys that can actually get the job done. Many teams wish they had this lineup every day. Theo made it clear that it's about the core. It's not about a new hitting coach. Now, I'm going to make a lot of major changes. It's about the Cubs being able to do what they need to do. Again, it's on the personnel. It's on the team. It's on the manager to produce. Simple end of story. That's the end of that. There is no what if when it comes to the Cubs. Because, once again, the majority of the team is good enough to be able to not just compete for the division, but to have a long run with an opportunity to do some things in the playoffs for the 2019 season. If they don't, yeah, what are you going to do? Blame Madden? Too much wine? Is that what it is? You're going you're to blame Madden? I mean, here's the focus is on these guys, these players to be able to get it done. Now, I will say this because the team, as is, I think is good enough, there's no, there's no need to look at the team and say, well, let's go move forward past the trade deadline. Let's not do anything. I always believe that when you are a good team, you want to be able to have enhancements to your team and try to make it better. So Sahadav Sharma wrote this on TheAthletic.com. The piece is entitled, If the Cubs swoop in and sign Craig Kimbrell, what can they expect? He says that the starters were an issue early on in Houston, though they shined in the final four games a 1.44 ERA. Only Jose Quintana failed to get through six innings because of an extended rain delay. From May 15th through the 28th, The Cubs starters posted a 6.50 ERA, the third worst in baseball during that span. But they just figured out how they can be able to get it done offensively, or at least try to get it done offensively, because they take on St. Louis and they had a complete collapse. Starting with last Sunday's 10-2 drubbing at the hands of the Cincinnati Reds and throughout the ensuing six-game road trip, the Cubs went 4-41 for with runs of scoring position. Remarkably, of those four hits, one run scored. (laughs) That's unbelievable. That's an unbelievable stat for a team, again, that has a murderer's role offensively. Just three more numbers for you before we hear from Jesse. Wilson Contreras, 0 for 18 with three walks and 11 strikeouts. Javier Baez, 2 for 20 with 10 strikeouts and no extra base hits. Chris Bryant, 3 for 17 with no walks and 9 strikeouts after hitting a home run in his first at-bat Wednesday in Houston. He had just two singles. 3 for 17 for Chris Bryant, not good enough. 
Just isn't. It's not the is that injuries. Is he hundred percent? No, he moves all over the field. That guy can play left field, right field, third base, first base. He can do everything. He's just going through a hitting slump. Javier Baez. Let me just put a pin in him just for a second. How about this? Have you heard about this about Javier Baez? Javier Baez has already surpassed Dave Kingman for all time home runs as a Cub. For those that remember King Kong Kingman, the outfielder for the Cubs, that guy was hitting roof shots. On a regular basis. And not in batting practice. That guy was strong in the 70s. Late 70s, early 80s. That guy, you you didn't want to see him come to the plate because if he got a hold of one, not only would he hit a home run, it would be on the roof or surpassing the roof. That Those Glen Allen Hill shots. Huge, huge home runs. And already Javier Baez has surpassed him. Like He's right there with King Kong Kingman, which is amazing because it didn't seem like Baez has been here that long. As we talk about the Cubs with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jesse Rogers was with me uh, the other day talking about the offensive struggles for the Cubs. You know, it's, it's part of who they are. Even Joe admitted that today, and Theo has kind of admitted that in the past. But Joe, Joe mentioned the past, and, and the, the stuff we've seen recently is not shocking leaving men on base, stranding runners in scoring position. Um, They're doing it at a higher rate than we've even seen at times in the past. Uh, Two long streaks this year already of of stranding men in scoring position, 0 for 25 twice now, just in the month of May. So it's just who they are at times. Now, last year it was two months of it, you know, where they just went into tank. But but here's the difference, Jay Hood. Here is the difference. They were, they were at least getting on base during this last streak. They walked eight times yesterday, okay? Mm-hmm. Almost got shut out, which is a rarity, but they scored in the ninth inning. Last year in the second half, they were stranding runners, yes, but they weren't getting enough on. And I can't stress this enough. If you're getting them on enough, enough over time, you will score enough runs to win games. If you aren't getting them on and you're not driving them in when they do get on, that's a recipe to lose a lot. So during this stretch, they were at least still taking walks, getting guys on, but they were just in this rut of stranding guys. They're, they're not going to be, I don't think, 14th in the league with runners in scoring position. I think this was sort of a bottoming out. But they're also not going to be in the top five. They need to be in the middle of the pack, and two bad stretches in May dropped them down to 14th. Some thoughts there from Jesse Rogers. Also, a shot in the arm for someone that was on the scrap heap is Carlos Gonzalez. I mean, he had a great first game and a terrific defensive play in the game against the Angels yesterday. Yeah, my bar was low. He's already exceeded it in one day. He's already <laughs> exceeded it. I uh, like that he pulled the ball for a nice hit and then walked. And then obviously uh, that catch and right was A-plus in my mind. Yep. Going back towards the wall uh, in a park you haven't played that much in, right? Certainly not um, you know, uh, in his first game here. I mean, I know he's played as a visitor, but not that much. And not that much in right field. And, I mean, he goes head first towards the, the wall. Uh, I mean, if he dove any later than he did, he's, he's you know, we've got a big problem on our hands. He's, he's going into that brick wall. But he avoided actually running into it and just made that great catch. Just just a great, great, great play. And, yeah, I mean, standing ovation. Cub fans love him already. He gets on base twice. That's the key. What's he going to do at the plate is the key. Whatever he gives you defensively is a bonus. And he got off to a great start. So let's see if there is something left to take in, in cargo, and the, and the Indians missed it, maybe. Who knows? So that's there from Jesse Rogers. We talk about the Cubs with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So we talk about enhancements, right? Carlos Gonzalez is with this ball club. Great. But now 
What about Craig Kimbrell? There's several articles that I've seen over the last couple of days about Craig Kimbrell. And again, I don't think that the Cubs are like a Craig Kimbrell away to solidify themselves as a World Series team. But I always think that if someone is available like Craig Kimbrell, a guy that has been around the big league since uh, 2010, he's been to the All-Star game one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, uh, someone that has, can solidify a bullpen, 333 saves in his career, uh, 31 and 19 mark, uh, has won, has really succeeded in 62% of his games as a closer. If you're looking for that, uh, you should be able to get it. Now, I'll also say this. Craig Kimbrell seems obvious for any team that's trying to contend. How come no one else is, is ringing the doorbell for Craig Kimbrell? It seems obvious for the Cubs to be able to solidify themselves, but how come other teams are not putting Kimbrell in a uniform? This is interesting. Uh, but we'll keep our eyes on a 31-year-old that we know that can get it done. This is why this past offseason baseball is kind of weird because we saw names out there. And it's like, you can't find a job for this guy or this guy? I know that there's a, a price tag for all of it, but still, if the guy is productive, if the player is productive, put him on your roster. But I always find it kind of curious that I think the Cubs should have Kimbrell, but how come he's not going with anyone else? I don't see him rumored with anybody. We'll keep our eyes on that story right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Let me move on to something else here, a story that broke earlier today regarding Chicago's own Anthony Davis, prospective high school's own Anthony Davis. It's something that you and I already knew, but it was solidified by Adrian Wojnarowski and also Sham Sharania from uh, Stadium. Uh, regarding Anthony Davis and his want to get out of New Orleans, the piece from Sham says this, says that, uh, Davis and his agent, Rich Paul, met with the Pelicans executive vice president of basketball operations, David Griffin, in Los Angeles. A sit down that allowed Griffin to paint the picture of his vision for the Pelicans star player. Davis requested a trade from the Pelicans in January and has reported uh, after the New Orleans Pelicans won the number one pick in the draft lottery on May 14th. His stance has not changed. And so. He wants out of New Orleans. It goes on to say that the Pelicans are on stable footing right now. An all-star type talent in Drew Holiday signing long-term. Uh, they've got cap flexibility, a fortified front office, and most importantly, the number one overall pick, which is Zion Williamson. The potential faces of the franchise, Williamson and Holiday, could set Griffin's era into motion in a positive light. With or without Davis, the Pelicans are building a sustainable model. I would agree with that. Let me be the first to tell you that the Pelicans should trade Anthony Davis because whatever you get back, the Pelicans are going to win that trade. Here's why the Pelicans are going to win that trade. I like Anthony Davis. I don't love Anthony Davis. I like him. I don't love him. You see how many games that he's played. And, I, and here's why I don't love him, for several reasons. I believe that he is a, a star, no question. He played 64 games when he was 19 years old coming in the league in 2012. His games played are 64, 67, 68, 61, 75, 75, and of course 56 this past season. You see the numbers, and they are eye-popping, right? 23.7 points a game. And provides uh, uh, definitely uh, a post play and the ability to shoot from the outside some. He shot 33% from three-point range uh, this past season. He shoots 314 
uh, from three in his career. 79% free throw shooter. I think that if you get something quality for Anthony Davis, I think that the Pelicans can win that deal. When you look at all of the players that will be available, either via trade or free agency, you tell me who you'd rather have for your franchise. And Bulls fans, please think about this, right? For any of these names, I'm sure you'll be salivating over any of these guys, right? <laughs> if it's for if I, these names, you'd want for any of these guys, right? So Kevin Durant is the number one name in free agency. The number one name. It's a name you're going to hear me talk about Kevin Durant all summer until he decides what he's going to do. All, right, all the way through July until he decides he's going to resign with Golden State or go to New York or go to Brooklyn, or the Clippers, whatever. Kevin Durant's number one with a bullet. Then there's Kawhi Leonard, question marks. We'll talk about Kawhi a little bit later on. Kawhi Leonard, is he going to stay in Toronto? He bought property in Toronto. Does that mean he's going to stay? Is he going to go to Los Angeles? Well, well I mean, Kawhi Leonard, that's a name. Kyrie Irving also is a name. You think about that. Kyrie Irving seems like he wants out of Boston. It didn't seem like it was a fit there with Boston. But then again, without Kyrie Irving... Like, who are the Celtics? Got to keep, keep that in mind as well. Then there's Clay Thompson. Then there's Kemba Walker. And then there's Christoph Przingis, who's a restricted free agent. And then there's DeMarcus Cousins. And then there's Jimmy Butler. So there's some names there. There will be UFAs. There will be unrestricted free agents or wanting to deal. Now, I named for you Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie, Kemba, Clay. It's a lot of Ks. And Christoph Przingis, all those guys, right? I really have all those guys over Anthony Davis. The other reason why that I would is because look how the game has changed. It's not like when you see uh, Anthony Davis, this is the next Dirk Nowitzki. Or the next Christoph Przingis, quite frankly. Every time I see Anthony Davis, he's writhing in pain on the floor. And that hurts my heart. And I'm like, that guy is so talented. And I don't, I'm not saying that he's going to be Bill Walton or Ralph Sampson where he's always injured. Or, but I, I, just, I just don't see how Anthony Davis is the difference maker in a franchise as a lead guy. Say he goes to Los Angeles and he goes to the Lakers, right? Well, we know LeBron's the alpha dog. If AD's part of the mix, I can get it, but not as the vocal point. And I think that with Zion Williamson, and listen, I think Zion Williamson in college was terrific. And I think that because we haven't seen anything quite like that package uh, in the NBA, he could be something special in the NBA. Special meaning star, time will tell. I'm, very, I'm always very cautious about trying to put a star on someone who hasn't been in the league yet. I have no, I have no idea. what he, Is he going to be a 10-time All-Star? Is he going to be an NBA champ? I have no idea. I just know what I saw in college, and I saw something that we hadn't seen before. When you see Zion Williamson and you can't come up with a comp in 10 seconds or less, that says something. So I know he's going to be good. I don't know how good. Okay, So let's, let's put the, the brakes on who Zion Williamson is yet until we see him on the floor in the NBA for a full complement of games. He won't mind being the face of the New Orleans Pelicans. Drew Holiday is a terrific player. Whatever you get from Anthony Davis, that's a good thing for the Pelicans. I'm not going to tell you that AD's a scrub. What I'm saying is is that I just named for you all these guys, Durant, Leonard, uh, Irving, Kemba Walker, Jimmy Butler is on that list. Uh, there's a number of guys I'd rather have than Anthony Davis. Bigs now are not the plotting centers, but they're back to the basket trying to be able to get easy layups. 
you're looking for guys that are, are versatile. Is Davis a versatile big? Yes, when healthy. But if you're not, Davis, if you're not healthy enough to be able to help long-term, then what's your real value? So I think that, I don't think that Pelicans fans or people that look at the league say, oh, you're going to trade that guy? Don't let him, no, let him leave. Let him go. <laughs> Anybody's available, let him go. David Griffin, um, when he was with NBA TV, uh and I see what you're saying here, Felix says David Griffin, when he was an analyst for the NBA TV, saying that he would uh, that he would do it, right? That he would do yeah, that. What, what he would do if he was running the Pelicans. All right. But if I was holding their cards, I would probably want to be in a situation where I got at least one young player that projected potentially to be a star, mm-hmm. draft picks, an elite role player, somebody that could really further the cause for us as a winner. Because when you're bringing more young kids to the fore, you need those guys to galvanize a group. <gasps> He just told you what he's going to do right there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so uh, David Griffin, who I like, by the way, and, and uh, I've worked with him several times on, on NBA radio, um, he sees the future. And the future is to trade Anthony Davis, which is fine. He didn't want to be there anyway. And, and by the way, from Davis' standpoint, I get it. He's got, what, a good six years left? He doesn't feel like he wants to stay in one market and try to go through a second or third rebuild. I get it. Fine. But get what you can for him because that's a diminishing asset, quite frankly, because of the injury situation he's gone through. Um, I saw this. We didn't get to this yesterday, but I saw this yesterday about um, NBA teams moving away from, quote, the owner title. The NBA may be backing down from using the word owner due to racial insensitivity. After Golden State Warriors star Draymond Green argued against using the term on LeBron's HBO show The Shop late last year, the issue gained steam. You shouldn't say owner, saying that it should be changed to CEO, chairman, or majority shareholder. The Sixers have since changed the title of their owners to managing partners. And Steve Ballmer of the Clippers is listed as chairman on the team's website. When your product is purely the labor of people, then owner sounds like something that is of a fiducial nature, according to uh, John Stewart, who was on the shop talking about that. So I saw that story about how maybe some players don't like the phrase owner. And I, I will say this, that in our lives, you can just turn on your social media, you turn on your computer, turn on your phone, and there's going to be something about racial insensitivity. It's not like you're looking for it. It'll just pop up. I'm going to turn on my, my phone and go through Instagram, and there's going to be some woman that is using the N-word against uh, someone that works at a hotel, and she uses the N-word, and he's like, okay, you gotta you got to go because you use the N-word. One of the things that is always going to be prevalent with race is that there is always going to be a misunderstanding and a lack of communication, always. Because you will have someone that will say, I don't see color. And when they say I don't see color, that means that they're not really interested in the background of that person. I don't see color. Well, that means that you're not really into what that person's about, that person's culture, what that person's feeling. 
And also, the other side of it is when you have people of any race that is not willing to listen to the other person and say, well, I, I don't feel that way, so why should you feel that way? It's because no one should feel like you should feel, right? You're not an influencer when it comes to social issues. I always, you know, when it comes to this topic of ownership, I don't think it has anything to do with race. You've earned that. You've earned that. Because if you own a team, you should be referred to as an owner. doesn't mean if the players are uncomfortable with it, then don't play for that owner. There's no need to change the name because you've earned the right somehow, some way to be an owner of a team. There's no need to change the name of it. Here's something that you should probably look at if you're Draymond Green or anyone else has a problem with it in any sport. If you have a problem with the term owner, own yourself. You become an owner. You have the financial wherewithal to be able to classify yourself as an owner. But you shouldn't take it away from somebody else. You see, the term race and the conversation about race is a lot more serious in this country than I don't feel comfortable with the owner of my team being referred to as an owner. That's so linear to me. Because if you have a problem with that term owner, then does that automatically make you a slave because you're a person of color? I would never refer to myself as a slave. (laughs) And I don't own this radio station. I don't own this time slot, but I am not anybody's slave. And I know that there is a section of people that will look at things that happened in the past and say, oh, well, you know, it's the past. You should just bury it. No, it's still prevalent today in 2019. But I think serious conversations about how we can heal each other and be able to communicate with one another, I think that that is more important than being able to stop the, the name of Someone who earned the right to become an owner of a franchise, an owner of a bank should not be called an owner of a bank if he's white and has black or Latino employees. Come on. One story. So I grew up with my grandparents and my grandfather's best friend was Polish. Andy Stuk lived on the east side and his best friend was Polish. They both worked at Celotex in the city. They worked together. And they're best friends. It's interesting because when you're a little kid and you're just kind of growing up and you see this Polish man in, in your house and everyone else has a brown face, you're like, wow. Like, okay, Mr. Mr. Andy's here. <laughs> Andy's here. And, and, of course, you always knew he was there because along with the Thanksgiving dinner that you're used to, there was Polish food also on the table. When there was Saturday night parties, and, boy, you could always find a hood party on a Friday and Saturday night. That's because all the cars were stacked up in the neighborhood and no one else could park. You'd always find a hood party. And so during those times where you had those hood parties, there would be Mr. Andy. He'd be there. And everyone would bring their records at the time. They'd bring their vinyl. And so would Andy. He'd bring his Bobby Vinton records. (laughs) He'd bring them because that was part of his culture that he wanted to uh, fuse with our culture. Now, it's not like... My grandfather and Andy didn't see race. Sure, they saw race. But they respected one another to be able to learn about one another and respect what each other were going through. And it was cool because they 
it was an interesting friendship that they had. But the point is, is that they had the wherewithal, they had the the feeling to be able to learn about one another and become friends and learn about each other's culture instead of turning a blind eye saying, I don't know anything about Polish people, so I'm never going to be able to respect them. I'm never going to talk to them. And I, I just all I know is the slurs. I'll never be a, a I'll never be a fan of a Latino. Or I'll never be a friend of a Latino because, well, I never grew up with them, so I'm just going to turn a blind eye to them. Uh, you know, I, I'm never going to talk to people of a different race or different culture because, well, I was raised to learn this, so that's exactly what it is. No, no, no. Point is, is that if you are interested in educating yourself, then what you will look at is, hey, you know, I learned something from somebody else that's a different culture than me, that's a different race than me, different skin color than me. But I will say this about the NBA players. If there are some NBA players that are offended by the term owner and you're black, uh, you never look at yourself as someone that is less than. Draymond Green feels like he's less than, apparently, because there are those that are in higher places in offices that have shirts and ties that, uh, that actually had the right to own those teams. They're owners. And the best course of action for Draymond or anybody else has a problem with the term owner in the NBA is when you're retired and you want to be with other players and you want to be able to own your own team, what, are, you, are you going to use the term owner? Will you call yourself CEO? No. You, you should call yourself an owner because you've earned the right. <laughs> Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. This portion of Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood is brought to you by Bird Dogs, the most comfortable shorts known to man. Go to birddogs.com and use promo code ESPN to get a free pair of nunchucks with your shorts. Good to have you in today. We will hear from Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA like a blanket for ESPN.com. We'll talk to him coming up at 810. Uh, we've got a, got a new segment that we're going to un- unveil. You see, here's what happens. When you sit around out of town in a lot of sun drinking cocktails you come up with a lot of new ideas and so that's what i that's what i've come up with with my two weeks away from the actually i i had before yesterday i had not been here in 22 days national shows yes but 22 shows i have missed but a lot of national shows with uh with various partners uh filling in for freddie and fitzsimmons but it's good to be back with you here on this tuesday night here on espn 1000 the espn app um a couple things with the Bulls. And again, we'll hear from Nick coming up at 810. Um, so Bobby Marks wrote a terrific column on ESPN.com. Next moves for the Bulls, point guard and draft questions. And one of the things that you're going to hear me say between now and the draft, and I'll say this to John Paxson when I see him, is that the, the core is set, but the core needs to be healthy in order for us to see exactly what this Bulls team is. Like, like we could, I mean, for the rest of this month, probably for the majority of the summer, we're going to put aside management for the the Bulls. You and I know what the obvious is, right? 
All right, because I don't want to keep repeating myself about John Paxton and Gar Foreman, the job that they've done, the one-loss record, um, what they are doing, what they're not doing. I'm putting that to the side, at least for the rest of this month, because you and I have I've chewed that fat over and over again. But the focus should be on Zach Levine, Lori Marketing. It should be on Dunn. It should be on Robin Lopez. It has to be on how this roster, one, can stay healthy, and two, be productive enough to be able to make some noise in this Eastern Conference. Because you know the players. Wendell Carter Jr., if he's healthy, what is he? Laurie Markinen, if he's healthy, what is he? Same thing with, with Zach Levine. Same thing with Chris Dunn. Health is the number one thing for this Bulls team and the thing that has been the bugaboo for this Bulls team for a long time. You don't know what you have if they're sitting in suits or if they're sitting uh, in jogging suits on the sideline. You have no idea what you have. So on the surface, it looks like, okay, that's a nice core. But you don't know if it's nice or not because you're just pulling at straws and you're just guessing at it because of how many injuries that the Bulls have had. That's what it comes down to. I'm going to tell you something that no one else will tell you about the point guard situation. And this draft, the Bulls will find someone at 7 that's going to be a good draft. Again, we'll talk to Myron Metcalf coming up at 9-10 and talk about the NBA draft. We'll have an NBA draft guest every night up to the draft on this program to get you ready for the NBA draft so you can figure out who the Bulls could take, who the Bulls maybe won't take. At 7, the Bulls will find a nice player. I said that last year, and I was right. This year, they'll find a nice player. But it's really not about the draft. For once, it's not about who they find in the draft. It's about how these guys can get healthy. I'm pushing the, the coach who I don't believe in to the side. I'm, I'm pushing management to the side. It's really about how these players can develop. Point guard. If you're looking for someone that could be a lead guard for this basketball team, the lead guard that they need to be able to look at is not Derrick Rose. Much to the chagrin of Kendall Gill, who I know is listening to the program, because Kendall Gill has been there marching up and down, you know, Cottage Grove, letting everybody know that the guy that the Bulls should get is Derrick Rose. They should get a Chicagoan, but his name is Pat Beverly. We hear John Paxson every now and then talk about, like, toughness and talking about culture. Pat Beverly should be in a Chicago Bulls uniform in this past season. And it's something that I've, I've heard about all throughout the regular season that Pat's ready to come home. Derek's ready to come home too. But it's, and I know that for, for Maury and for Maud, you know, in Bolingbrook or in Deerfield, it won't resonate with them like it would resonate with me or you. Pat Beverly's from the shy. I know Derrick Rose is, and Derrick Rose is a great story. Oh, look at the comeback, and Derrick Rose back in the Bulls uniform. Not yet. Not yet. He can come back, not now. Because what would Derrick be coming back to, quite frankly? Pat Beverly is a game changer. Pat Beverly will bring an attitude. Pat Beverly is a guy with dirt underneath his fingernails. And I see people going at him at Pat Beverly, 21, and they are like, hey, you know, uh, he's back in Chicago. I think he came back yesterday, so he's in the city. Pat Beverly should be in a Chicago Bulls uniform. You're talking about grit. You're talking about a guy that wants to win, a guy that can get it done defensively. Pat Beverly is that guy. Pat Beverly is the guy. 
if you're really serious about change, if you don't mind a little West Side in your basketball, then you bring home Pat Beverly. Now, if again, if it's if it's still a little bit too dirty for you, a little bit too strong for you, ah, too much of a strong person in that locker room, then Pat Beverly should go someplace else. But Pat Bev is here to win every time he takes the floor. He's here to win every time he takes the floor. Pat Beverly should be in a Bulls uniform. I've heard this speculation all throughout the regular season that there's a possibility that Pat would want to come back to Chicago. Pat Beverly should be in a Bulls uniform. The Derrick Rose story is a great story. And I know that Kendall loves that story. Oh, they should, you know, look what he does, how he's been able to kind of get his career back together, healthy now. Not yet. Not yet. Last year of his, uh, of his playing career, maybe? You want to do something with him as an ambassador at some point at the end of his career? Not yet. Ah, no. The Chicago one they should bring is Pat Beverly. And I will tell you that this is not a Derek, this is not a Dwayne Wade come home Chicago thing. No, this is not quite like that because that was a sham. And Wade saw the money. He was like, no one else wants me. Milwaukee didn't want me. Some of it, Denver didn't want me. He went to three teams. The Bulls are like, okay, we need to have a PR situation here to remedy how people are, are pissed that Derek isn't here. Here comes another Chicagoan. Here comes Dwayne Wade, Robin's own. It was like, uh, no, he's not going to be here for the long haul. You knew it. <laughs> you knew he wasn't going to be here for the long haul. You were just here just to check out Moon Oink and just to see his family and see how his mom's doing. That's what he was here for, checking on the kids, seeing what's going on, you know, everything, all the his personal stuff going on. He was checking out all that stuff. But you knew that that was just going to be for a year and plus because that just – that dog wasn't going to hunt. But Pat Beverly, that's the dude. That's what the Bulls should focus on. Otherwise, we're talking about suspects. We talk about this with the White Sox a lot, right? Talking about how these prospects are suspects. Same thing with this Bulls roster. All these guys on paper look like they could be able to do something for this Bulls team. The Bulls, as a team, by the way, has to do what I'm doing right now, set aside management, set aside the, the conversation, set aside when a reporter's going to you. It's like, oh, what do you think of the rebuild? After the rebuild, just play. Play. Have, have that mentality the Sacramento Kings had for a long time this past season. It's like, you know what? No rebuild. We're just trying to play. Okay? We're just trying to, despite what the coach says, we're just trying to play. And we're just trying to win and try to be competitive. But the number one thing is health. If the Bulls aren't healthy, then what, then what is this? You're spinning your wheels. People laughed at the Bulls at draft night, and I get it. They, had the, they were trying to somewhat tank, somewhat set some guys down. Uh, but the bottom line was is that all that did not work out for them. It, it didn't bear fruit. They got the number seven pick, and the number seven pick will be fine. But the number seven pick, I don't expect to be an impact player. Otto Porter Jr., I remember last year's draft when Bleck was talking about um, Otto Porter Jr., what if what if he goes someplace else and not part of the Wall Beal, uh, Wall uh, Wall Beal and uh, Otto Porter combination with Washington, and you see what happened? He got traded. The draft pick that we'll see on draft night actually is Otto Porter. That that's actually what it is. That's the draft. That's the pick. That's the new the newness of the Bulls. Otto Porter being part of the team. 
So I thought that Bobby did a great job breaking down the salary cap situation with Otto Porter at 27-2, uh, Zach Levine at 19-5, Felicio at 8.1, uh, Chris Dunn at 5.3 million marketing, Wendell Carter, Denzel Valentine, Chandler Hutchinson, and then you got a number of uh, G League players for the Bulls, like Walt Lemon. Walt Lemon, by the way, second team all G League. That I, I called half of his games this past season. That guy has a motor. He is a terrific uh, young player uh, that's been in and out of the league. Uh, Antonio Blankney and Shaquille Harrison on that roster as well. And then you go from Robin Lopez and some of the other G League players on this roster. But man, Dunn, Levine, Porter, Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr. They got to play together for more than just 40 games. Otherwise, what is this? All will be exposed if those players are going to be able to play and be healthy. It's still suspect, the whole injury situation with the Bulls. It still is. Even uh, since Derrick Rose and moving forward, why are the Bulls often so often injured? That tells the story, not the draft. It's not the, that's not the story. The story is, besides all the other noise and all the other stuff that we know is obvious, can those guys be healthy? One question is next. <laughs> Jonathan Hood. So pay attention to my word, because it's the truth. Meditation is the mind. It brings the youth. It's like a verse you could never read out of a book. Dropping the line in your mind like a fish hook. On ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad you're with me here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app still to come. We will hear from Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. Also, we'll find out what the Bulls may do with the draft. Myron Metcalf will be with us coming up at 910 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Well, you know, people are very busy, very, very busy. And so what we've come up with is every day we're just going to be able to talk to people randomly in my phone or in Felix's phone and we're going to ask them simply one question. You guys lose this game or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. It is time for one question, indeed, right here on Under the Hood with me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's very simple. One question, we go through the Rolodex. We just go through my phone and just find people to ask one question. And I landed on Chris Bleck from Bleck and Abdallah Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on ESPN 1000. Also works with Cap and Company. Hello, Chris. Jonathan, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Welcome to one question. I'm ready for it. Give it to me. Okay. The question I have for you is, what is the song of the summer? Oh, I'd have to go with Old Town Road. I mean, that song's been everywhere. It was the song of the spring. It's now turned into the song of the summer. And really, it's on way to being the song of 2019. Who would have ever thought that this song, which kind of came across as a song that was a bit of a gimmick, has turned into like a cultural phenomenon. Young people everywhere are obsessed with it. When you hear it, you immediately know what it is. And and would you have ever expected in 2019 to say to yourself, hmm, I'm wondering about songs of the summer. 
Let me guess. I think that Billy Ray Cyrus will be involved in some way, shape, or form. You would have never said that until you heard this song. It is by far the song of the summer. There's no other competition right now. Drake's too busy at the finals watching <laughs> basketball. He's not making music. There is nothing to compete with this song. It is the song of the summer. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone. Hey, yo, Jay Hood. Talk that barbershop talk, dude.